Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Here we go again. It's the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com. Com, place to go. Always go to vetgurus.com. You should have it on your on your what what's home the favorite screen, bar? Home screen. <laughs> I was gonna, well we they they shouldn't have us as a screensaver. That would really put you <laughs> off work for the day, wouldn't it, Mark? Um, episode one hundred and fourteen, Friday, what the twentieth of December two thousand and nineteen. And Mark, it's been one of Dashing, those days. Oh, I was just gonna do like a a, a Christmas carol, but we're, we're new and punchy and we don't get sidelined. It's just been one of those days, Brendan. We will do the Christmas special. We will. And we'll, we'll talk we'll talk crap as usual during that. Yeah, it's been one of those days. You, you've had a good day by the sound of it, even though you haven't told me anything about it. And I've had a, a less than good day. I've been off work, which is normally a very good day because I'm not working. <laughs> but it was one of those days. So what, what happened was, well, several things. Um, Number one is I've got a blowfly flying around my studio here, Mark, the recording studio, and he's p- pissing me off. <laughs> and I've got a can of fly spray next to me. So if you hear a oh, bit of a whoosh, okay. it's, it's just giving me the irrits. And um, I've been chasing it around the room for the last five minutes before I, I logged in, and um, I still can't get it. I haven't um, sprayed yet. I've been trying to corner it. And, um, yeah, it's um, really annoying me, and that's, um, yeah, it's um, – the days going from bad to worse. So yeah, I, I was painting some windows this morning, Mark, um, under the carports. We had four lots of um, new double glazed windows installed in our house to replace a rotting one. So I thought would do all four. And um, I was silly enough to leave the back gates open at one stage when I'd finished the oh, painting. No. And our lovely dogs, Patch and. Jezza. Um, Jezza just follows Patch. Um, she's the brains of the unit, as, as usual. And, um, yeah, they, they'd taken off. And I didn't realise, which is probably good because um, no news is good news because I would have been stressing and heading down to the park around the corner, which is where they usually go. And somebody knocked on our door and it was a good Samaritan and, and it's good to have nice people in the world, isn't it, Mark? And it, and it is a good news story, this, in the end, this particular news story. The other one I've got is not a great news story. Um, and he knocked on the door and said, um, you know, I found these two dogs and they they wandered across the main road near to the, the shops down here in research and um, it's a very busy road, Mark, there near the intersection of the roundabout there. And they'd crossed over there and they'd headed to the shops down there and he'd seen these two greyhounds and he'd bundled them in the back of his tradie van and um, looked on Patch's little key tag, which had her address as well as the phone number. And he had tried to phone my mobile phone number and, as usual, I had my phone on silent and I hadn't been looking at it. And uh, he left a, a message or two, and he just rolled up with the two dogs. So it was fantastic. Good on him. So nice to have people who actually um, do a bit of a good Samaritan deed for you. So Annie quickly ran back inside and and um, found a big box of chocolates that she was going to give to her mother on on um, Christmas Day. And gave <laughs> unlucky, unlucky for Annie's mum. 
Yes, so uh, I'm sure she'll be going out to buy some more for him. So yeah, so yeah, that was um, that was um, a bit of a stressful um, event, and and yeah, the other one is that the one I started talking to you about in that uh, 100th competition with the with the poster competition, and you were lucky <laughs> I, I, enough to say that your poster had arrived safely at the winner, your recipient, and she loves it and has put it up in her lounge room or a kitchen um, lounge room, I think, and. Um, which is room. what deserved in because the dining, dining room. room. Yeah, it's it's gone straight to the pool room, hasn't it? Um, and it was a fantastic poster and, and uh, an amazing picture, of course, because you took it. And my one, Mark, um, about last week, it, it came back. It, it had gone all the way to the USA and sat there for two or three months and then returned to sender. Um, so I wasn't too impressed with that, um, although Riley, who I did send it to, um, did give me a heads up about a month ago and said, um, I think it might be coming back to you because I did pay the extra cost to have it a signature required on acceptance and I think it went to university or somewhere and or a college or something and um, they wouldn't take it um, and wouldn't sign for it. So I don't know what it's like in the USA but apparently it doesn't then go to the local post office and they over here they... They usually just put a, a little card in your letterbox saying we couldn't deliver and it's gone to the local post office and then you can go there and sign for it. But it came all the way back, so it did a bit of a three-month round trip to the USA and back to Australia, Mark. So I've shoved it back in the post again and it's cost me $50 <laughs> to post this thing twice and um, hopefully um, – Riley will enjoy the print when she finally gets it. And I've I've sent it to a different address. I've asked her for a, a home address and I think it's going to his or her parents' address. And um, when it gets there, um, it doesn't need a signature. So somebody will enjoy it, I hope, and um, it'll probably go to the pool room as well. That's- um, and that's a reference to a very... A very classic Australian film for for those overseas listeners called The Castle. So it's a um, bit of an iconic Australian film, isn't it, Mark? The people overseas who who want to get into a bit of Australian culture should go and watch it. It it is almost like a documentary. Yes, (laughs) it is. So, yeah, that's my day. So I had the the poster return and sending that back. I've got this stupid fly (laughs) buzzing around my ear here. The dogs got out and um, I'm a bit tired from from painting, doing three coats on the outside of these windows. Um, And I've done all the inside of the windows, so four big windows, and now I've got to do three more of the outside one. I've done two, one of the outside ones. I've got three more to go. So I was hoping I'd get them finished before Christmas, but who knows. Um, we've got a very hot day coming in the next um, few days here in Australia, all over Australia, so I won't be painting um, for the next few days, that's for sure. So how's, how's your day been, right? The highlight of my day was that we, as, as we have mentioned many times on this podcast, we have the great joy of dealing with lots of native animals um and and we had one today one of my favorite birds the azure kingfisher we had one of those brought in now these birds when they come to us they're actually a little bit it's a little bit frustrating because they don't do well in care is my experience no matter how we set them up and how we try to deal with them they just are very highly strung they don't stay hydrated they're high energy little units and they zip along the surface of the water and uh and they just don't do so well um if they're injured but fortunately this one 
um, well, unfortunately and fortunately at the same time, it smacked into a window and stunned itself um, and a particularly good client was worried that their cat might make a bit of a mess of it. So they picked it up, conveyed it to us. We did give it a little bit of fluid and a nice warm, dark cage to recover in where it was safe. And great for that bird and for me was that um, it only took a few hours and it was back to normal. And uh, then I had the pleasure of taking it back down to the stream that it came from. Um, and holding it in my hand to let it go. And there's very few feelings like those little blue and ochre gems scooting away across the water just as they've jumped out of your hand, Brendan. Excellent, excellent. And, um, yeah, we often paint a bit of a doom and gloom picture for rehabilitation, recovery and rehabilitation of wildlife, but um, it sometimes all goes to plan, doesn't it, Mark? And um you must have had a bit of a tear in your eye as you saw it. Did you I take did, any pictures of it? I actually did. My, um, a, um, it's on our uh, Facebook page. A little, um, I tried to do the slow motion um, uh, iPhone release. So my big stubby fingers unfurl around the little gem. Um, he looks a bit stunned for a moment. moment um, and then he gathers himself and flips off. Of course, at that point in the slow motion, I point the camera in exactly the wrong direction and the bird zips off uh, quite quite safe and unphotographed <laughs> into the distance. <laughs> a perfect result. <laughs> a perfect result. Excellent. Well, I'm going to jump into the news story, and I've really got one news story, and it's a, it's a, well, it's a very good news story, isn't it, Mark? And I hate to pat ourselves on the back, but this is a great one, and I think all all our listeners will be proud of this one. And we did tweet it out to the vet at Vet Gurus um, on Twitter, and also put it on our Facebook page as well, Mark. That the Vet Gurus are listed in the top 35 veterinary podcasts you must follow in 2019, and not only. Are they in the top podcast, Mark? We were listed as number three, Mark, at feedspot.com. So uh, I was quite flabbergasted at that at that particular um, um, listing, Mark. Um, were you amazed that we're number three in the top 35 veterinary podcasts you must follow in 2019? I was flabbergasted is exactly the word. I was waiting for someone to ask us to pay for that. <laughs> Yes, yes. I thought it might have been some sort of sneaky little, yeah, um, we'll list you, but it's not live yet. Yes, so give us a few hundred dollars and we'll list it. And um, yes, and, no, and so. I went through the um, the other um, the other 30-odd 30, podcasts and um, and they're all authentic. And, and um, one of the interesting things I noticed when I was going through them was that um, we probably – we're, we're much more niche, I think, than the others. Um, they uh, often are associated with one of the universities or some other communication. They're the, not not many of them are the backyard operation that we are, Brendan. Um, but um, but he, our, the um, the rater. Uh, he um, he did say that um, it's not just the numbers, it's not just the reach, it's the quality of the uh, the whole show. So still, I still don't know how we got in there. 
Yes, you can fool some of the people a lot of the time, I reckon, Mark. So, yes, ranking is based on relevancy, blog posts, frequency, freshness, social metrics, domain authority, traffic, and many other parameters according to according to the author. But, yes, so well, I was pretty chuffed with that, Mark, and as you were when we had a bit of a chat off air about it. So, yes, excellent. So that's enough patting ourselves on the back. You've got a – well, you've got a – Oh, you've got a bad news story, a sad news story, don't I you? Do, I do, I do. Um, and, and, you know, we've been making a conscious effort to uh, to make our podcast a little bit um, less um, doom and gloom, but I, I still think, like, I suppose you can't care about these things and not touch on the doom and gloom aspects, and if you're not aware of them, then, you know, you'll just um, go about your business and think everything's going to be okay when... Maybe it's not, and it's not going to be for these um, these hermit crabs. So this is a, um, an article from our old favourite, the Mother Nature Network, um, and it uh, was the original story was reported in the Washington Post, um, and it does tell the story of a number of species, the turtles, the seabirds, um, all these animals that are affected by plastics in our ocean. But um, this is a story of the... The hermit crabs who, um, when researchers were collecting, trying to um, remove the plastic um, from the ocean, there was some researchers looking at plastic waste in the Cocos Keeling Island, one of the Australian territories in the Indian Ocean. Um, they found, you know, bloody gigantic rafts of, um, of the things. But amongst the plastic they found... Um, large numbers, um, scoops of dead hermit crabs, they called it. Um, every time they uh, would pour out the um, overturned plastic containers, um, they would find um, poor dead hermit crabs. And um, they say it's easy to figure out what had happened. The hermit crabs are instinctively drawn into small crevices and holes during their, you know, they only really do three things in life. They eat, they mate, and they constantly search for new shells that are slightly bigger than the last one. And unable to distinguish between the artificial containers and shells, they crawl inside the plastic tombs only to become trapped, unable to climb back out the slippery, unnatural slopes of their new um, their new potential home, what they thought would be a home. To make matters much worse, and we'll, uh, this is a really cool thing, the hermit crabs emit a chemical signal um, when they lose their shell or when they die that other hermit crabs pick up that they come over to to check out, you know, if a, a hermit crab has left its shell, they want to check it out to see if it might be a better one from them. So these plastic containers, as the number of crabs who left their shells died inside these plastic containers, they released huge amounts of this um, these pheromones and, and, of course, they just attracted more and more and more until they were bloody... Heaps of them dead. And what do they suggest here? The researchers um, estimate that 570,000 crabs were killed in the Cocos Islands alone. Um, so it's, um, it's interesting to suspect, it's interesting to think about how, how many 
maybe worldwide in tropical oceans where the, the plastic pollution may be building up, um, how much of an effect it's having on those poor, you know, not the typical one you'd automatically think. Um, so, so yeah, another, th- another reason for us to um, lessen the amount of plastic we use, Brendan. That's a lot of crabs, Mark. That's a lot of crabs, and um, I like the I like the name of the person who was um, they were chatting to the expert Alex Bond, the curator of London's Natural History Museum. I reckon that's a Bond. perfect name for somebody. Alex yet. Bond. Yes. Yes. Um, well, we do have. Um, an episode on hermit crabs, don't we? Episode 99 was hermit crabs. So for those of you who have only recently joined us, you could go back to episode 99 and learn all about the care of hermit crabs in captivity. So, yes, there you go. Um, okay, well, let's jump into it. That's all we're going to do for news stories. And we don't have, again, once again, we will have a couple of reviews for our, our Christmas special, which will be obviously in the next week or two, if not before. Um but um, no review today, Mark, and I think we're going to jump into it. We will jump into our new topic, which is our main topic, which is something that, well, people might think may be boring, and perhaps it is, but I think it's an important one, and that is nail clipping and dogs and cats. And why the hell did we choose this one, or I did choose this one, didn't I, Mark? Um, and that's because I think it's a, a well, it's, a, it's an important process, nail clipping dogs and cats, for client perception of how good you are as a vet clinic, Mark, because, of, gee, I, I, I've, I've had a few stories of, of clients where I've, they've brought in a, a dog or a cat for a nail clipping, especially the dogs, and um, things go awfully wrong with that nail clipping and we end up with blood splattered all over the consult room table and floor and um, you you can even see the trail of blood as the client um, heads out the door, never to be seen again, and you lose a client. You always know. I've got. I always say to people, you know, when um, uh, um, um, an older woman in a white, you know, sort of faux fur um, jacket, who's driving a car with um, white lambswool seats, brings in a um, a. Uh, uh, um, white Maltese terrier for a nail clip. I run about a mile from those ones because <laughs> you know it's going to look like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre once you're finished. Yes. So, and one of the things we should chat about is how we how we try and reverse that 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 disaster with those sorts of ones. But the opposite can certainly happen, and I think that's why I wanted to chat about this as well as the the other sort of processes and. and Problems that can go wrong with a with a nail um, in a dog or a cat in in that might, might, may start up just as a nurse nail clip, and I'm, I'm sure you have the similar process, Mark, where a client could come in and have a nail clip of their their pet um, dog or cat performed by the veterinary nurse or technician, and it will be charged at a reduced cost because there's no consultation with it. And it may be somebody you've never seen before, and they phone up and they and they ask for a nail clip, and that person is converted into one of your best clients because the nail clip was performed better than Brendan could and it wasn't bleeding everywhere and the nurse has a chat to the client and asks them about worming and vaccination and the dental disease and and mentions all these sort of aspects and just gently does a bit of a 
for a better word, a sell um, for the practice, and um, they end up being your best client because they think, "Gee, I came in for a nail see, clip." See, um, Brendan, I've got to hold you to take you to task here because I, I, I worry like you that our clients will see us as a uh, "Do you want fries with that?" sort of business. Um, but I actually think that our most powerful argument, the best thing that we can all do every time we say something to the client is just to ask ourselves, are we being the advocate for the animal? Are we taking this opportunity to say the words that that animal could say if it could speak to maximize its health? And I think, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's a sell. I think the money comes afterwards. I think you just do the best for the animal. And you're right. These are moments of truth. The times when people are, they've tried to clip them at home and they've made a mess of it themselves and they actually sense their pet getting narky with them. Um, and so they come into us to, and, and you don't even have to not, you know, thank goodness for me, you don't even have to make sure that you don't make them bleed. You just have to know what to do and lead the client's expectations and manage it well. And you're right. You can turn these people into gold clients, Brent. And I, th- and I think an important aspect of it, and that's something we need to jump into pretty soon, is how we deal with that patient that comes in, even if we well, or, or we just call it a, an animal, a dog or a cat, not necessarily a patient of ours yet. Just want that one is booked in for the for the basic nail trim. How do we deal with that one when it is an aggressive animal, or it is a is a cat or a dog that is incredibly anxious or nervous, and that's probably the reason why the client could, couldn't clip the nails of that animal at home. And my approach to those ones, Mark, is you don't have to do the nail clip at that point in time, and I'd definitely be recommending especially to new graduates and nurses or technicians who are new to the profession is don't you know don't don't be afraid of saying no I'm not going to do this particular procedure at this particular time on this particular day and have a chat to them about look your animal seems pretty stressed it's urinated and and defecated all over the all over the wake room and the consult room table it's lunging at me as you speak and um, I think it wants to rip my throat out so perhaps we should chat about um the anxiety that all of us are feeling um, rather than trying to um, bundle that um, dog up with a with a catching pole which is you know of of in the bad old days, Mark, I, I, when I saw practice as a student, I had I can vividly remember um, that happening in practices where the, the vet just didn't want to lose or, or give in um, with something as simple as a, a nail clip, and they would get out the those horrible catching poles, um, um, the the rope on the end of the stick, and they'd they'd lasso the dog and have the dog literally hanging in midair in front of the client. Um, and then um, clip the nails and then then put the animal down on the floor and say, there you go, I managed to clip it, that's $20, thank you very much. And um, thank goodness those sort of days are gone, hopefully, um, for most of us. So so I, I think it's an important thing and we get a little bit wiser, don't we, as we get older about these sorts of considerations and we say, look, is it important to clip the nails of this animal at this time um, and if the animal's stressed and you're stressed and the nurse is stressed and the owner's stressed then you don't need to it's not going to die on us is it this animal um, so let's just leave the dog and the cat and chat to the client about um, options for 
perhaps um, getting it used to come into the vet clinic, the dog that walks past the clinic every day and, and giving it a little treat and getting it to come inside and giving it another little treat. And then after several several weeks, apart from it being obese, <laughs> you can then start thinking about clipping its nails without and, it doing anything. And um, uh, precisely right, Brendan. I think that um, that little process of and, of taking your time, of inquiring, you know, and planning ahead, inquiring as to the treats that are likely to work, all those things make a huge impression on people um, that that you are interested in the animal's well-being. And you might, um, we've definitely got uh, animals that will do, you know, two or three nails on one foot this week, two or three nails on the another foot the next week. We just do up to the point where the animal is comfortable and once it starts to get tetchy, um, we'll we'll you know give them a treat and let them know that everything's okay and not push them past that point. Um, and we know that they don't learn once they get frantic and they're wrapped in a towel and they're brachycephalic and they can't breathe and um, and then you've taken off you know and they always it's the last nail they just jerk as you're cutting the last nail and you cut the quick and splash blood everywhere. You can avoid that by just choosing not to. Absolutely. And the ones that, I mean, there are certainly ones where they have that ingrown nail or that cat with that ingrown dew claw that's been there for ages and the client has only just seen it. And they're the ones, Mark, and we should chat a little bit about this, that, that yeah, I, I, I may be considering with that dog that no matter what we do with that one, it is going to become anxious with it. It is going to be a little bit painful for that animal. And they're the ones that we toss up about giving it some sort of sedation um, if it's an apparently well animal otherwise and, and not a particularly aged animal then we'd be reaching for something like a, a little bit of metatomidine for instance in a dog and just taking the edge off the animal and then everybody can relax while, while we um, perform that rather than wrestling the animals um, with them. So, and that's yeah. an excellent distinction between what might be considered a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a cosmetic thing where the nails, they're, they're still important. The nails that are too long are still going to roll and put stress on collateral ligaments and ache, but you have time with those. But ones that are medically important, once they're digging in, causing infections, um, once they're, you know, that classic one where the dog's been gambling around on the on the um, deck and there's a little gap in the decking so they just slide one nail in there as they're leaping around and then avulse that um, claw almost just leaving enough attached so that it hurts every time the dog moves a muscle or breathes they're medically you know important to solve very very quickly and you're right we should sedate them apply local uh, anesthetic in one form or another um, and then do whatever we need to do to correct the situation yes and same story with those ones like those those classic split nails mark where they've that it's split um sort of um down the length of that um down the length of that nail exposing the the inner aspect of the nail and, and it's constantly irritating the animal and you know that you need to well basically rip out that um that split nail don't you and um i'd be sedating them to do that and uh, you know it's gee it's 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 a no-brainer to me as, as as far as you need to mention to the client. Look, this thing is painful. Um, how about we sedate it um, and then everybody can relax and we can take our time to to cope with this. And yet, I still 
see or at least hear um, vets who who are still um, just trying to physically um, handle the animal and and grab a pair of hemostats and just rip out that nail. I know you've long been an advocate for uh, what what you describe as a better life through the use of pharmaceuticals. <laughs> That's right. That's one way of putting it, isn't it, Mark? Yes. So what's your – well, I'm going to um, quiz you here a little bit, Mark. Um, so what's your preferred technique for the ones where they where they have um, basically ripped off um, the outer aspect of that nail and that whole quick or the core there has been exposed? What what, what, what do you do once you've sedated it and, and removed any remaining bits of the nail that were sort of hanging there? Um we just uh, we apply some uh, of the wound gels that we use uh, to help us uh, um, um, protect germinal epithelium. Um, we put a swab over it and we keep it bandaged for a few days. The good thing about um, doing that, I find, Brendan, is that the germinal epithelium of most of the nails will relatively quickly uh, produce, you know, new nail, new uh, new horny keratin um, and so it's only four or five days and the the initial layer that that very first bit of a new nail is starting to form um, and so they it's not the good thing about these is you don't have to keep them bandaged for long periods of time you just need to protect them for a little while and you do need to pay attention to um, analgesia that if you do use some local anesthetic obviously when it wears off and you've ripped to the nail off, um, you are you, they are going to feel it, and so appropriate analgesia is important. I don't find them to be a huge problem with infection generally, unless the nail's been sitting there for quite a while. Um, we we probably are using antibiotics less and less in these cases. So it's a it's a, a relatively make sure they can't feel it. Remove the nail as boldly as you can. Um, trimming, you usually don't need to trim. The, the damn things uh, fracture or they cleave along um, the, that fault line just at the very surface of the germinal epithelium. Make sure that there's no, you know, fractures of the um, of the ungual process, which might lead to the nail growing skew. If um, and if that's all good, then yeah, a bit of wound gel, a bandage, protect it, appropriate pain relief, and uh, change the bandage in three or four days. Do, how many of those dogs and or cats do you require an Elizabethan collar with Mark? Not very many, Brendan. It's it's. I think this is my theory, Mark's theory, Mark's theory alone, no basis in fact, no evidence to support it. Um, I think that the bloody things really hurt when the nail's half dangling there and they feel much better very, very quickly once you remove the nail. And provided you, uh, the wound gel, I think, is a, a real bonus for us because it just provides, you know, an appropriate environment to keep the epithelial cells, the, um, the, the, the germinal epithelium healthy. But it also just provides an environment where if there is a little bit of movement, it's almost like there's some lubrication over the top. There's nothing rubbing on the, the germinal epithelium directly. And so we don't have have a big problem with dogs having a go at it. I think they're much happier after the event than they are before. Do you find you've got to use lots of ECs on these dogs? It's variable, Mark. I think it's like with with any um, any surgery, whether minor or major, um, in certain individuals, you know, <laughs> um, 
you know you need that e collar on them um and others um you know, you, you do major surgery and they still don't touch it. So I, I think that's the advantage of, of knowing your patient um, if you have those long-term patients there, Mark. But, but yeah, so it, it's it's variable with it. So I, I certainly don't think it's something that I'd be recommending as a routine, that's for sure, yeah. So do you, do you, do you give them um, antibiotics? Typically not unless, um, unless like you said, it's a, a long-standing condition um, and that whole nail bed um, and surrounding area is extremely you know angry and inflamed and, and swollen um, then I might maybe be doing that but but typically it's just the um, the pain relief and then um, I'd probably my my usual one would be I'd send in them home on the dogs would and um, would probably go home on something like a, a non-steroidal um, a little short yeah. course of non-steroidal and same with the cats as well so meloxicam oral for the cats and and carprofen is what I'd probably use for the dogs. Now I've got one tip for new players, Brendan, and I've got it. It's a tip that's generated from personal experience. Um, if you have a dog that has uh, you know, a, a nail issue, and it happens, you know, two or three times in a row, then my tip is to start looking at the possibility that there might be some form of, um, you know, uh, well, I've been caught with a couple of cancers a few times where uh, there's a, a small growth that causes, it, it occurs at the nail bed um, and it causes a fault in the nail, which, you know, as you mentioned, may appear as a split or an avulsion or look like an infection. Um, and if you're not alert to it, generally mention if it's a serious one when you first do it, um, but uh, certainly if they recur on the same uh, toe, I reckon it's a good thing for someone to suggest to people that they might need to get a biopsy here or do some further investigation rather than repeatedly doing the same thing. Great tip, Mark. If it's not working, then don't keep, you know, don't keep um, hitting yourself with a hammer um, thinking that it won't hurt as much next time. There must be something going on there. Yes, excellent. Well, I reckon we're going to log off, Mark. Um, we're, we're trying to do our zippy and, and quick and punchy um, change of, of podcast um, to make it only half an hour or so, and we have. We made it 33 minutes, um, which is, I think for us, it's, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? <laughs> so I think with that, we're going to say hooroo from the gurus and we will catch you all next week. Don't forget to email us. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time 